Hey everyone and welcome to another episode of Ask Shane Anything. This show is possible because some of you guys and girls pledge at $7 or more per month at the Ask Shane tier. Now, everyone gets to watch the show. We don't keep it behind a paywall for only the people who pay the $7 or more per month. However, if you want your questions answered, you may have a much higher chance of that happening if you are pledging at the higher tiers. We will answer questions from everybody, just to let you know. But if I have to decide between one or the other, I'm going to side with the person who's pledging at the higher tier. I think you guys can understand that. Uh, one note before we get going, future episodes of Ask Shane Anything are going to be a little bit shorter. Things have started to spiral out of control a little bit with the show. Uh, the last couple weeks I've been working editing this show until late on Fridays. Um, and that's really not what this show is supposed to be. It's not supposed to be another game face or whatever. So future episodes of Ashy and Anything are going to be a little bit shorter. Some of you may appreciate that, actually. But anyway, yes, another round of great questions. Let's get straight to them. All right, our first question for this week's episode comes from someone who gets a question in every episode. And that, of course, is Kevin. Which person in the games industry are you most excited to have interviewed? Is there anyone you have not interviewed who you wish you had the chance to talk to? Finally... If you get to have an interview with anyone and you knew every question would be answered, who would you then interview? First of all, I just want to say I consider myself very lucky to have had the opportunity to interview most of the big players in the games industry. Now, it, my career has kind of gone up and down and up and down in that regard because there are times where I will be like behind the scenes doing stuff and then there was times where I was kind of front of house doing stuff and that affected who I got to talk to. So for the GameSpot years, I was a young guy and I wasn't the person talking to the industry bigwig. So I did a lot of interviews with PR people for news stories and things like that, but I wasn't interviewing a lot of industry luminaries. And then I went to Tech TV and G4 where I was pretty much completely behind the scenes. Like I pretty much disappeared for you know, seven years or something like that, um, where I was just doing all the work behind the scenes. And then people like Adam and Morgan got to handle all the interviews. Now, I would help prep them for those interviews and help provide questions to them for those interviews and things like that, but I didn't get to conduct them. It was always Adam or Morgan or Kevin Pereira at some points, he would handle some of those. Uh, but that's kind of the TV model. Like, people like me toil away behind the scenes, and then the talent gets to go out and do all the fun stuff. So there was like a window there where I didn't get to talk to really anybody. And then I went to Game Trailers, where I was hired at first as the editor-in-chief and supervising producer. Um, and then I was kind of pushed to the forward again. Now, again, I, I tried to stay in the background. I'll be honest with you. I kind of liked that whole era on Tech TV and G4, where I could just go to work and do my job every day and have to worry about the internet freaking out about something I said or did um, in a video. Uh, so I stepped to the front at Game Trailers because I had to, but it was begrudgingly. I, I really did not want to give up my private life that I had enjoyed leading up to that point. Now, once I did, I also was democratic. I didn't want to just kind of bogart all of the big interviews. But the other part about that was generally how the stuff works. If you talk to the luminaries, they give you one appointment per outlet. And usually that appointment I would pass on to the TV show. Uh, Jeff Keighley, you know, would do the interview instead of me, um, which hurt a little bit, I'll be honest with you, you know, being the person who was grinding away at the office all day, every day, and then somebody else would just swoop in and do like the big interview. It wasn't ideal, but that's kind of the way it is, and I was used to it from working in television before. So um, I'll be honest with you, like a lot of the big luminaries, I got to interview 
I don't know, maybe half of them. But a lot of times Jeff took all those interviews for our TV show on Spike. So um, probably the glare, most glaring omission that I have in my career is I have never been able to interview Miyamoto. And he is obviously the biggest get. And so anytime that opportunity would swirl around, like I just had no chance. Adam was going to take it or Jeff Keighley was going to take it. And so I never had a chance to. Um, I've never got to interview him. And that's probably my the biggest black hole. And I don't think it's going to happen ever now. Um, for a bunch of different reasons. So um, that sucks. <laughs> He's, he is the one guy I missed out on. No, I have talked to Phil Spencer multiple times. I've interviewed Reggie multiple times. Um, I've talked to the various different leaders of PlayStation at different times. But like a lot of times during the game trailers era, Keeley would get the big guy at Sony for the TV show. And then I'd talk to like Scott Rohde, who is like the head of all their development, basically their internal development, who honestly was the better person to talk to and the better interview to do because you start talk to the luminaries. It's like they know big picture stuff. Um, you talk to the people who are actually working in the trenches. The interviews are better, but people don't care. So everybody would watch an interview with Sean Layden. If it's got roadie, People are like, eh, I don't know who that guy is, even though, honestly, it's a better interview. So that's kind of the way things have gone. But as far as, like, developers are concerned, I've talked to pretty much all of them. Um, who was my favorite? I tend to like interviewing people who are philosophical, honestly. Um, so Ken Levine is a great interview, I would say, probably. And he the thing about Ken Levine is he... He doesn't stick to the PR talking points. So if you interview him and you pique his interest, he will start going off on tangents and he'll start telling you stuff that he probably shouldn't tell you. And those are always the best interviews if you're just looking from an interview's perspective. So I guess I would say Ken Levine is my favorite interview that I've done. But as far as missing pieces, it would have to be Miyamoto and some of the other bigger brass at the big three. Next up, we have a question from Commander Fett. Why do you think the Steam Deck has been so successful among PC gamers? Is it the fact that you can bring your Steam library with you and you don't have to wait for great games to come out? Or is it just the portability and ease of use? Do you think that it will continue to be successful? Okay, Commander Fed, I read your question and my first question to myself was, is it successful? Because I don't think we know. Um, Valve has not released sales numbers for Steam Deck at all. I think we got a hint when it said like, it was selling like 10% of what the Switch was selling at one moment in time. But again, those numbers are fuzzy. Like I could say, well, okay, Switch sold 15 million that year. So does that mean that Steam Deck sold 1.5? I don't know. It, it's awful. Until Valve tells us how many are sold, we really don't know if it's a, a success or not. We also don't know how many Valve hoped to sell. And that ties into whether something is a success or not. So I think you're jumping the gun a little bit when you say that Steam Deck is a success. Um, it could be, it could not be. But I don't think we should assume that it is. Now, anecdotally, I could see where you'd say, well, they're curating stories about it on Sifted and I see that all the time and I know somebody who has one. I mean, I'll be honest with you, I'm a pretty hardcore gamer. I don't know anybody who owns a Steam Deck. Not one single friend of mine has a Steam Deck. So I'm not saying that it's, that's saying it's not doing well. I'm just saying there's no empirical evidence that it is doing well so far. So let's just start with that premise. We don't know if it's actually doing well. The rest of your questions. Um, why would people buy it? I think a little bit of it is it's an oddity. Um, I think it's if you're a PC gamer and you've been having to sit on a chair like I am right now to play games all the time, 
I think being able to take PC games on the go is kind of a cool thing for those people. Um, so I think there's a little bit of a novelty angle to it. And I'll be honest with you, I also think that there's a certain amount of people out there, and I've thought about this, I'll be honest with you, I thought about doing this, who bought a Steam Deck to make it their PC. Because again, it works like a switch. You can plug it into a monitor and you can use it like it's a PC, except it's this big. And it's capable of kind of running 4K games. Can you get that anywhere else for like 700 bucks? No. So I think, honestly, it's a great value proposition just as far as buying like a gaming PC is concerned. So I think the value there has brought some people in. I think the curiosity of, oh my gosh, I have this blah, blah, blah. And then I think honestly, like your reasoning is low on the, the ladder. The, I can now take my library on the go. I don't think that's a big component of why people bought Steam Deck, honestly. Um, it's a great case use for it. Um, and I think obviously people are doing it now, but I don't think that's the reason why they bought it in the first place. I don't think they were like, hey, I'd really like to take all these games I have on my PC out anywhere that I go. I've also never, by the way, seen anyone playing a Steam Deck at an airport or on a train or anything. I've never seen one in the wild. I've never seen somebody just using one out in society. So again, I question the success of Steam Deck. I think it's done well enough that Valve isn't going to bail on it. And I think that's important. Um, because you think about like Steam Link and some of the other hardware, the uh, Steam Controller, some of the other stuff that Valve has done. I'll be honest with you, a couple of those things seem like they were cut off a little early. Um, but so far, it doesn't seem like that's the case with Steam Deck, which may lend into your idea that it actually is doing okay. So um, I don't think we know if Steam Deck is doing well or not as of right now. Um, I know I have anecdotally, I haven't seen people using them. I, haven't, I don't know a single person who has one. Um, and I think the problem is that you need killer apps generally to move hardware. And the killer app for Steam Deck is what you said, which is just having this library of games you've been paying for for the last 10 years or whatever, and now being able to play them in new places. I think that's the unique selling proposition or killer app. Um, but there's been no game that only plays on Steam Deck that will make people buy Steam Decks. And I think Valve is going to need something like that if it really wants to move hardware and compete with the big boys like Nintendo. Next up, we have a question from David. Tell us about how you met your wife. What advice would you give to make marriage, relationship, happy and successful? Okay, so I'll give you the Crypto's version. Uh, my parents were divorced. My mom lived where my wife lived. And I would go and visit my mom. I live with my dad. And I would go visit my mom in the summertime. And she was religious. She would force me to go to church two days a week. I've talked about this before. I had to go on Sundays. And I had to go on Tuesday or Wednesday for youth group. I can't remember which day it was. I think it was Wednesday. Um, and my wife was at that church. And so I met her at church of all places, which is just crazy because I do not go to church anymore. Um, so that's how it worked out. I will say this, meeting a girl at church your expectations about the girl are a little different. Um, and I'll be honest with you, her behavior and her lifestyle are probably a little bit different from the average girl you might meet at that point. But anyway, I met her when I was really young, didn't think much about it. And I kept coming back every summer to visit my mom and I would run into my wife in church every year. Um, and so that's how I met her. And then when I finally moved to live with my mom permanently for my before my junior year of high school, she was still there at church and we met and we became friends and then it just all spiraled from there. Um, and so we dated for a really, really long time. 
uh, before we got married, actually. And we broke up and got back together and blah, blah, blah. So maybe I'm not the person to tell you how to have a great relationship. But I will tell you how I've managed to make sure that my marriage hit its 15th anniversary last year. And that is just basically being very patient. I really think that is the key. Um, understanding that everyone is different. And including the person that you're with, your girlfriend, your wife, your boyfriend, whatever. Um, they're different too. And they're going to react to things differently. They're going to process information differently. And I think understanding that is key. And the second key, and I've said this before, I think someone has asked this question before, is like, you don't want to have you. You don't want to date yourself. That's where problems arise. A lot of people, when they're looking for their mate, they look for someone just like them. And it's never going to work. Every girl I ever dated that was just like me, liked all the music that I liked, liked all the things that I was into at the time, it never worked out because there was no, nothing interesting about the relationship. You just sit there and agree with each other all day and there's no spice there. Um, so I would say, and I have, again, I have said this before, try to look for people who are not exactly like you. It's good to have a couple interests in common where you can meet on common ground, but you need just as many things that you're different. Um, and that has been the key for my wife and I. Like we both have different interests. She's obviously not a hardcore gamer. Um, I am. Um, some other stuff we are common on, like we're both big Pittsburgh sports fans. That seems silly, maybe to some of you people, but that's kind of a big deal. Um, throughout football season, I'm on Sundays, I'm rooting the Steelers on. To have my mate there rooting the Steelers on is a big deal. It's one thing that we connect on, one thing that we like to do, one thing that we like to discuss. But outside of that, we have all these differences. So I think that is the key to a healthy relationship. We just had our 15th wedding anniversary and like, I'm probably going to, celebrate my 30th someday and my 40th if I live that long. So um, I think my wife and I, we're good to go as far as I can tell. Um, and I think as far as she can tell too, but I think that's happened because we're not identical to each other. <laughs> Next up, we have a question from the Sandman. Can you share the funniest and best story from a Pactor E3 party you attended? Many thanks, loving this segment. And I love doing this segment, it's a lot of fun. Um, let's see, funniest or best story from a Pactor party. There really aren't that many funny stories. I mean, so every year somebody would get too drunk and they'd act a little crazy or they'd say something crazy or stupid or whatever. That's not that big a deal. Um, probably the one thing that I remember from all the Pactor parties that stands out as like the craziest thing that ever happened at one, there was this, and I'm not going to name names here, but there was this young guy who had been in the industry for a short time, but he was very um, flamboyant. And so in a very short period of time, everybody in the, in the industry got to know this guy. Um, and he was kind of like, he was very aggressive, like butting in. He ended up getting a job at PlayStation and people were like, how the heck did that happen? But anyway, he rose up in the lexicon of the games industry very quickly. Everybody knew who he was. It turns out that he was dating some other girl in the industry and he was doing some awful things to her. And she told people in the industry about what was happening. And basically his reputation was shot. Well, he showed up at Pactor's party that year and everyone was shocked to see him there because we were like, wow, like after all the stories that we heard about what happened with you and your girlfriend, like I can't believe you'd show up to this thing. And like an hour and a half later, I heard a ruckus and Pactor came up to me and they're like, he was like, do you know this guy? Because he had not heard the stories and didn't know who he was. And I was like, oh yeah, everybody knows this guy. And I'm like, you know, he some stuff happened between him and his girlfriend that became public. And, you know, he's kind of a pariah. And he's like, well, that explains it because this guy right now is sitting out on the window ledge. And so this guy had come to Patrick's party, had a couple drinks. I think maybe he realized at that point that his reputation was shot and no one wanted to talk to him. And he freaked out and was sitting out on a window ledge 
at the party, like 15 or 16 stories above the street with no railing. He's just sitting out on this ledge on the outside of the bit. He had crawled out a window and was sitting out on the ledge as if he were going to commit suicide or something. It was crazy. And people were just trying to talk him back in. He wasn't even that drunk. He'd only been there for like an hour. And people were trying to talk. And obviously he didn't jump. He didn't kill himself, thank God. People managed to talk him back in. And I'll be honest with you, I have not seen that guy since. All right. Our last question for today's episode of Ash Ain't Anything comes from, and I hope I, hope I get this right, Kualib Twali. Twali. I apologize if I got it wrong. I'll get it right next time. Correct me in the comments below. I'm an avid watcher of Game Face and Pactor Factor, but I've recently started watching Dossier to get a quick digest on, a, on upcoming games I might have overlooked. Have you considered using Dossier as a way to get community feedback on upcoming games to feature for Game Face segments? First of all, Kalib, I appreciate that you're watching Dossier. I'm glad that you finally started watching it. It's always bizarre to me that we have people who pay for our content that only watch like one thing. They only watch Game Face or they only watch Pactor Factor. And so it's interesting when you're like, I finally decided to start watching Dossier. It's like a six minute segment that our patrons and everybody could have watched like a long time. It's, it's, anyway, it's bizarre to me. But anyway, I'm glad that you stumbled upon it. I'm glad that you like it. The thing about Dossier that you may not have even noticed is that it already does this. So if you look in the lower third on the bottom of the screen during Dossier, for every game, we have two ratings there. We have a rating for editorial, meaning like the people who work on Sifted, what do they think about the game? And then we have one for our audience. So every time I add a game for Dossier, I'm like, okay, these are the 10 games we're going to include this month. I go into our database and I look at the traffic for each of the games. And so if you look at that lower third again, it's color coded. So if it's green, it means like we're all about it. If it's yellow, that means we have some concerns. If it's red, that means that you probably should stay away. But if you're really into the genre, it might still be for you. And we do it for both us editorially and we do it for you guys, the audience. So right there, we're telling you what the interest level is for editorial and what the interest level is for our audience. Because some people, let's be honest, they don't trust us. They don't trust editorial. They trust you guys and your opinions, the, the mass audience's opinion. So we put both of those in there when we decide to include a game in Dossier. And obviously, most of the games that we put in Dossier, we're eventually going to cover on Game Face because what we're doing is we're identifying the 10 games from every month that we think you guys should be focusing on. And therefore, we are going to focus on them for you. And I'll just say this before I go. Um, when we do content on Sifted, we try to create content that will make sure that you're getting everything you need from Sifted. Meaning you get all our takes on all the stuff that really matters, all the games that matters, all the stories that matter. We're putting the games that you should be paying attention to on your radar. And either we're doing it on Game Face or we're doing it in Dossier or any of the other stuff that we do. That's the objective. Now you may want to go somewhere else and watch another podcast or watch another roundup of all the game releases from a given month or whatever, but you don't need to. And that's what we try to do at Sifted. With the resources that we have, we try to make sure that we create content that is covering all the bases for you guys so you don't have to go somewhere else. You may want to because you want to hear a different take, but you don't have to. And that is our goal. We want you to pay your $4 for a month, per month and feel like at the end of the month, you haven't missed anything. That is one of our big goals with content on Sifted, and it's up to you guys to decide whether we're actually accomplishing it. Okay, that's it for this week's episode of Ask Shane Anything. Thanks for tuning in and for asking great questions as usual. 
Again, this show happens because some of you pledge $7 or more per month at that Ask Shane tier. That's what gets us over the hump to be able to afford to do this show. Now, again, the show is up for everybody to watch. If you want to have a higher chance of getting your question answered, though, you might want to bump up that pledge to $7 or more per month. I hope you guys have a great time this weekend playing Baldur's Gate 3. I know my next three or four days are just going to be lost, and I hope you guys are going to say the same, but I hope you watch this first. (laughs) We'll see you on Game Face on Tuesday to talk all about Baldur's Gate 3.